the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Daily Faceoff Podcast comes courtesy of the Nation Network. Here's your host, Brock Segan, with Dylan D. Berthium and Michael Biebs Bondi. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 9, Episode 4 of the DFO Fantasy Podcast, presented to you by our friends at Betway. I'm your host, Brock Segan. To my left, we got Dylan D. Berthium. To my right, we got Michael Biebs Bondi. It might be reverse. I don't really know. But D, how's it going, buddy? Good. It's actually your right stage left. So, but that's all right. We're, we're used to the whole, uh, audio visual aspect of the podcast, but doing good, man. Uh, don't feel great about having to dress up for the camera, but you know what? I, it, it's part of the gig. I put on my finest green t-shirt and uh, blue Jays ball cap. Uh, and we're here and we're ready to roll. And uh, welcome back after missing an episode kind of ish. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm on a bit of a vacation right now out in BC before the the season gets started. So uh so I did have to miss a little bit of that episode, but I you know I I was carpe diem DMing. Um I was seizing the hell out of the day while I was while I was not there. So um I'm back. I'm here for a full episode, so I am sorry to everyone who listens. But um I'm kind of the opposite of D, you know. I'm like I'm like let's get let's get this face out there um but which might actually lose us listeners. So uh yeah, uh, but um Doing good. Still trying to pick my jaw off the ground from some of these uh, these preseason goals. Um, wink, wink, uh, Leo Carlson. Um, yeah, it's 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 good. I love having hockey back and officially back. Yeah, Logan Cooley scored an absolute gem as well. Just some. Uh, it, it, it's just so nice to have hockey back on the television sets. But let's get into it. We've got our right wing preview today. We will be talking about our top ten consensus right wingers, sleepers, busts, breakouts at the position. Uh, as mentioned in previous episodes, is if this is the first time you've listened to the DFO Fantasy Podcast, these are our five best episodes of the season. They are absolutely jam-packed with information. So if this is your first episode ever, be sure to go back and listen to the centers episode, listen to the left-wing episode, and look forward to the D and goalies coming up shortly as well. So three more positional previews to get through. Let's get it going on the right-wingers. We will start at number 10. From the Buffalo Sabres, we have Alex Tuck. I am the lowest on him at 15. Biebs is the highest on him at 8. And Dylan is in the middle right at consensus at number 10. Overall, Alex Tuck's ADP is the 51st position, which is the 7th right winger off the board at the moment. So 
Uh, Beebs, we'll start with you here just because you are the highest on him, and then we'll get to me and why I'm not a huge Alex Tuck fan this year. Uh, for me on this one, it was just the familiarity with the line mates. Uh, we, we talked about it in the last episode, or not the last episode, the center episode about Tage Thompson. Um, part of that Tage Thompson machine that chugs is having Alex Tuck on the right side. He never quite did what he done last year have by that i just mean having over a point per game uh 35 goals absolutely destroyed his previous career i have 20 um but i think that alex tuck truly did have his breakout last year and he did it at 19 minutes of ice time a night i could see him pushing closer to 20 this year um and uh and i i kind of just have him duplicating that season and with the guys around him um i kind of value that a little bit higher so if i can get a 35 and you know 90 point season from this guy i think he is fully deserving of that eight best right winger spot but there's a couple guys here that you could make a case for across the board so it's uh it's really personal preference and uh i guess i'm just i'm a, I'm a buffalo believer yeah i and i'm lower on him too and we've said this a lot in recent episodes like i mean these are the top 10 for a reason these are the best at the position to me i, I said it on the left wing episode the position seems to be a lot deeper this year than in previous years. Um, and it's just more about the other guys around Alex Tuck than it is Alex Tuck himself. I, you know, last year was great. 36 goals, 43 assists. A um, little bit concerning the 16.5 shooting percentage. His previous career high was 11. Or sorry, his career average is 11.4. The on-ice shooting percentage at 13.9 is pretty high as well. Again, like you said, Beeps, it's a good line. I, I think that he can probably still have a I really, love really lean good... too. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a good team, but I'm a little bit concerned at, kind of like, all of his metrics there. Um, you know, the shot volume improved last year, which was a great sign. I, I think he's still got, you know, 30, 40 potential this year. Uh, but I'm a little bit concerned that he's due for some regression. And at the same time, I just, like I said, some of the other names around him that I had at 11, 12, 13, and 14, I think are just a little bit more established guys that you can rely on a little bit more to have that 30, 40 season or in and around there. D, break the tie here. You're right in the middle. Uh, I, I agree with both of you. I, I love the situation he's in. I think even um, I think even if he were to drop off the top line uh, with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner that they rode so often last year, um, you know, anyone who listened to the center episode knows I'm very high on Dylan Cousins. So I think that'd be a fine spot for him to land uh, either way. And, you know, he's going to get a whole lot of running power play time, but yeah, my concerns are the same as you Brock. The shot volume just doesn't blow me away. 218, uh, in 74 games, it's productive, no doubt, but we're talking the best of the best here that the top 10, uh, at the position. So that's why he's just kind of barely creaking in there for me. Love the situation around him. Uh, but yeah, shot volume to me just leaves a little bit to be desired. And then to go along with uh, what you said about the shooting percentage, Brock, 16 and a half last year, nearly double what he put up in his first campaign with the Sabres. So I just think there's some regression coming there. Yeah. And uh, like I said, the other thing too, you know, if you take hits into consideration, big body, right? Big dude, but really doesn't hit that much for somebody who's 6'4", 219, uh, around 50 hits per season. So uh, doesn't offer a whole lot there. And yeah, the shot volume certainly isn't something that blows you away and is, you know, okay. Yeah. If you know, if he could increase it. And, and if that shot volume or sh uh, shooting percentage decreases, sure. You can still get to 30 goals, but I think the chances are pretty slim, especially when you're playing with a guy like Tage Thompson, who absolutely loves to fire the biscuit coming in at number nine is Andre Svechnikov. I'm the highest on him at eight. You guys are right behind him behind me at nine. Uh, so you guys rate in lockstep with the consensus here. We are higher than him higher on him than ADP. His current ADP is 82.4, which makes him 
the 13th left winger being drafted. This one's a little bit surprising to me, uh, but I'm going to talk about Andrei Svechnikov a little bit more later in this show. So I'll let you guys go. D, what do you like about Svechnikov over a guy like Alex Tuck? Uh, well, I think Svechnikov's a guy we've been waiting to break out for a few seasons now, um, coming into his age 23 season. And, and really the only thing that's really held him back the last couple of years is injuries, maybe a little bit unfortunate shooting the puck. Um, but I just think he's more of a volume shooter than, than an elite finisher, 11 and a half career shooting percentage, probably where he's going to be. Um, but the shot volume, you know, really caught your eye from a young age with Svechnikov. It's progressed nicely in the last few years. Uh, and I think if he can stay healthy, he's really got a great chance at um, topping his first 35 to 40 goal season. Uh, assist production should be really reliable. And then it's just the category coverage that comes with him. That's why, um, you know, his ADP had been so high the last few years leading into this year. And I really think it's just more of an injury stigma heading into this preseason. Um, but yeah, 140 hits last year, nearly or just over two hits a game. So um, great production there. And like we said, we know the shot volume is good. So you're just getting great category coverage from him across the board. Um, so in points leagues with shots, hits, should be just a really consistent, reliable producer. And if he does take that step forward in terms of his raw production, uh, he'll, he'll be a real steal at his uh, current ADP. Yeah, for for some reason, um, there was no one really wanted to draft Svechnikov or in earlier drafts. And I think that's really why his ADP is getting hurt. I think now um, people are doing these later drafts have realized, you know, he is healthy, showing up to camp. He's expecting 82 games. Because I think it's also crazy, like you mentioned, over two hits a game. So you'd think in banger leagues, it'd be like a Brady TK, not situation, but just where he gets higher ADP due to that um, obvious um, addition. Um including his underlying stats. I had him only a spot behind Alex Tuck. Realistically, you could make a case either way. Um, I just, basically, I just need to see it from him. Um, I need that healthy season. I think it's going to happen, but I'm a little bit worried, you know, with how much he does throw that body, that those are little things that might actually be why he can't complete a full 82. Granted, he did play 78 the year before, and we got 70 points that year. So I guess I'm kind of pushing for 75, 80 out of Tuck, more point per game, and I got Svechnikov. He should take that step forward, but um, at this time, I kind of just have Tuck getting a couple more points, but I have them right next to each other, and I think they're both great players. If you want the upside, obviously go with the guy who was drafted uh, – a little bit higher than Alex Tuck. So, you know, um, Fetchnikov, we've said it before. We're waiting for him to break out. So, Brock, I don't want to say much more because you're going to go all crazy later. But, uh, yeah, um, Fetchnikov broke into our top 10, and he's not in a lot of people's other top 10. So that's a little crazy. I think we had had him on the bust category last year. Um, he was His mm -hmm. ADP was so high. And it's dropped just insanely this year. I think it's nearly 60 spots or 50 spots lower than it was a season ago. And, it, you know, it comes off the heels of, yes, an injury-plagued season, but also a, a, a fairly productive. But like I said, I will talk about him more in the second half of the show. Injury-plagued in, and only missed 18 games. So, I mean, that's you lose a lot more from other sources. Yeah, number eight, we've got Alex at. I'm the highest on him at six. D is at se uh, seven, and Biebs is at 11. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of my, my Red Wings fandom coming through here, but I do expect a big bounce back here from Alex to bring cat 27 goals, 39, 66 points in 82 games last year. We talked about Alex to bring cat a lot on our off season review episode to kick off the year. So I don't think we have to dive too much deeper into this. We all know that he is a volume shooter, 270 shots, two years ago, 263 shots last year. Uh, and it just kind of all depends on if he shoots 10% or if he shoots 15%. He's going to do one of the two. He's not going to shoot 13%. He's not going to shoot 12%. He's going to shoot 10. 
and you're going to be disappointed, or he's going to shoot 15, and he's going to score 40 goals. It's just what he does. Um, and if you kind of look at the trends, it looks like one of those years where he's going to pop for 40. Uh, he's going to play a huge role on the Detroit Red Wings, probably going to be lining up with Dylan Larkin, at least early in camp. Uh, Larkin and Brinkett have been together the entire time. Uh, first, it was with Lucas Raymond. Uh, shortly thereafter, it was David Perron. But the one thing that remained constant was to Brinkett and Larkin together. Uh, if you if you know, obviously Dylan Larkin sees a ton of ice time at the top of that Red Wings lineup, and Debrinkat should as well. So I don't think that his shot volume is in any uh, you know is isn't any isn't going anywhere, right? Like he's going to shoot 275 no. shots. It, he's probably uh, going to score around 40 goals. The assist numbers are, are pretty solid, 37 and 39 each of the last two years. You have to imagine if he's playing with a guy like Dylan Larkin, uh, the assist total should remain strong as well. Uh, but D, uh, sorry, Beebs, you're the lowest on him at 11. Why did he drop outside of your top 10? Uh, for me, it was, uh, it's more, they're all so close right there. And for this guy, he's a guy who absolutely feasts on the power play. Um, he's, he's usually a shot first option. And Dylan Larkin's actually that option on the power play. He had 16 power play goals last year, 31 points. Yes, he should improve it. Um, not to say you can't have two shooters. And realistically, I think it's more about if you want to take the the chances, because if you do get that 66 point season again and um, no offense to your Red Wings, Brock, but he had a pretty decent top six around him in Ottawa as well. Um, granted, he probably wasn't playing with a Larkin, but um, you know, it's uh, some, some close players around there too. Um, and I could see him replicating that season. Obviously the trends for to bring at, as you kind of mentioned, are on year, off year, on year, off year. And uh, that on year is here, but he's going to be in a new environment. If it doesn't click right away, then it's going to be really hard for him to put up 40. But at the same time, if it clicks and things go well, we could be watching an actual breakout here. Um, we've seen him score goals before, but we've never really seen him put both the goals and the assists together in a season. So if he wants to give us that, I mean, it would. I would love to to be talking about him as a as a top five, even top six guy next year. I just, like I said, um, things are so close at the back end of this top ten. Um, but uh, for me, I think it more goes to I also got really burned by him last year in three leagues, so it could be a recency yeah, he, bias. He, he obviously the Senators have a, a quality top six, but his most. Um, time with like line mate last year was Shane Pinto. Yeah. Uh, So not great. He's not, doesn't have the best center. Uh, Claude Giroux. He saw a lot of time with Giroux and and Batherson as well. It's not terrible, but um, yeah, I definitely prefer Dylan Larkin over Alex to The other thing is uh, to bring at a right shot, Dylan Larkin, a left shot. So I don't think that either one of them are going to have, yeah, they're not going to have any issues sharing the puck and on the power play. But uh, D once again, right in the middle of us, break the tie here. Uh, I like to bring cat a lot this year. I talked about it a lot on the um, recap we had of the off season, but I think he just hits more than people realize 109 hits last year, 101 the year before that. Um, so great category coverage on top of his shot volume. Uh, and again, like I said on that earlier episode, just a really underrated playmaker, um, which makes you feel really good about taking a guy like this who's um, shooting percentage tends to fluctuate year to year and maybe a bit of an inconsistent finisher because you know, the assists are going to be there either way. Uh, and he'll be, you know, a really useful fantasy asset, even if he um, that shooting percentage shakes out closer to 10% than 20%, as you alluded to, Brock. He's going to be uh, a useful fantasy asset at a pretty thin position either way. Yeah, I will say I'm still very high on Debrinkat. Um, I think I'm high on a lot of these late top 10 guys. Um, so I'm in no way saying, you know, don't take that chance on him. Eight inches shorter, 40-ish pounds lighter than Alex Tuck. Double the hit totals. So <laughs> a little surprising there from Alex to bring up. But yeah, like you said, he not, not, doesn't shy away from that part of the game. 
Moving on, William Nylander comes in at number six. I have him at seven. Beebs has him at six. D, you have him at five. Uh, sorry, I skipped. Clayton Keller comes in at number seven. I've got him at nine. Beebs, you have him at seven. And D, you have him at six. Uh, so no surprise, William Nylander is going to come in at six. But uh, D, sure. you have uh, Clayton Keller the highest on the list here. Why don't you kick things off? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can just regurgitate, copy-paste a lot of what I said about Barrett Hayton on the center episodes here. I think Arizona's top line, super underrated. Obviously, Clayton Keller is the biggest part of that. 37 goals, 49 assists last season, 86 points across the full 82 games. Uh, shot volume took another step forward, which is great to see. Uh, and the finishing has really been elite over the last couple of seasons, 16.6 last year, 15.8%. Uh, the season before that. So it doesn't give you quite the category coverage as some of the other guys we talked about. But to me, uh, this is a guy that appears to still be getting better. We know the players around him are getting better and the situation is just improving year to year. Doesn't really carry a threat to the plus minus that you would think on the Coyotes. He's been pretty close to even uh, throughout the last four or five seasons, just because that top line is so good at 5v5. So um, yeah, I just think he is a really safe bet to kind of finish comfortably above a point per game. Uh, and like I said, I, I think that situation and the players around him are only getting better. Uh, so he's a guy to me that could really take a step forward and, and threatened for, you know, that 95, 100 point range. And I can't say the same personally on anyone that I have ranked below him. Clayton Keller heading into his seventh NHL season. Uh, I think many would be surprised to find out that he's still just 25 years of age, still extremely young. As you mentioned, D, he seems to just be getting better. And it's really not uh, that surprising when you factor in the fact he is still just that young. Uh, but yeah, we talked about it a lot when we were talking about Barrett Hayton in the last episode. Uh, the second half of the season, that line you know got put together and they just took off like a rocket ship. Uh, from February on in his final 32 games of last year, Clayton Keller had 45 points, 19 goals, 26 assists, 45 points in his final 13, uh, 32 games. It was just absolutely uh, outstanding production. The craziest part of that uh, was only nine of those points came on the power play. So just absolutely feasting at five v five, which is what you'd love to see, especially from a you know an Arizona team that uh, many believe isn't very good. But I, I said it before. I think this Arizona team did a really nice job in the off season, uh, tweaking around the edges. And the one thing that's remained constant in the preseason thus far, Hayton with Keller and Schmaltz. So I expect this line to pick up exactly where they left off. You know, maybe not 45 points in 32 games hot, uh, but I think Clayton Keller has a real shot to do some special things this year. As you mentioned, 86 points in 82 games last year, 37 goals, 49 assists. I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy's over 90 this year, uh, maybe pushing for 95. I think that Arizona team is going to be a lot better than people think. Beeps? Yeah, no, I uh, you hit it on the head and I think they're a lot deeper than people think which can only really help Keller last year this line was the only threat they had otherwise you could throw out any of your other you know nine forwards and they're going to shut absolutely dominate the other uh the other Arizona nine forwards so that led to them facing a lot of top pair defensemen a lot of guys who they could basically shadow them with but now you mentioned it earlier with the uh probably the goal of the preseason I'm just calling it now but Logan Cooley um, that makes them a little bit deeper. We uh, brought in a couple free agent additions that just kind of make the team a little bit scarier. And I think that could help Keller um, in the long run. I'm expecting similar play time, everything like that. This is the line that, that makes the Arizona ship move. And, uh, and when it, when that ship is moving um, it uh, it's dangerous. Like you said, there with the 45 points in the, in, in basically the second half and basically once Barrett Hayden 
got there and started clicking. Um, I guess I had him right here, just exactly like D said. I expect a little bit more from him than the guys behind him. And uh, I think you can be confident taking Keller um, and just, which is crazy, an Arizona guy this early in the draft um, because we're, we're watching a swing. And I think this team's going to be at least a little bit more exciting and uh, provide just as much, if not more fantasy, uh, just goodness than they had last year. So in that 40 or 32 game stretch where he had 45 points, he was fourth in the NHL during that span trailing only Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon and Leon Dreisaitl one point ahead of Miko Randon, Elias Pedersen and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, just, I could keep going down the list here. Obviously beat a lot of guys, but Mack and Chuck, Jason Robertson, David Pasternak, Artemi Panner, and Mika Zibanejad, Braden Point, all right there. Like, that's just how good he was. These are guys that are going in the first, second round of draft. So I still think that he comes at a pretty nice value. Current ADP is 60.6. He's the eighth right winger off the board. We have him at seventh. I think I skipped over where Debrinkat is going. He's 63.7. He's the ninth uh, right winger off the board going right behind Clayton Keller. So those two guys... Uh, right there, neck and neck. A little bit further up draft boards is William Nylander, who shockingly comes in at number six for us. I, I, I Spoiler alert. Uh, I have him lowest at seven. Biebs is in the middle at six. D, you've got him at five, which is exactly where he's going right now on ADP. Is, he's 25.5, which makes him the fifth right winger being drafted. Last year, 40 goals for the first time in his career. 47 assists was also a career high for a career high of 87 points in 82 games very very productive season from willie uh a lot of damage 31 goals on at even strength so you know just it's a juggernaut in toronto uh and and willie was an important part of that d uh you are our resident leafs fan you are the highest on william nylander why do you got him in your top five uh to me I, i think you just have to respect the raw production he's put up over the last two seasons and it's just been uh that much more consistent and reliable than uh anyone else we've talked to at this point just in terms of the the, the goals and the assists uh, and i don't really expect that to change i'm slightly concerned with him starting on the third line not that um i don't think he needs a lot of help around him to produce at 5v5 uh he certainly you know john Tavares certainly was not the driving force behind their line last season it was nylander so i, I expect if they are going to go three different lines centered by Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander, I would expect Nylander's line to outproduce Tavares's at 5v5. The concern comes in the terms of the ice time and whether or not um, just having to divvy up, you know, the three of their, those three lines ice time at 5v5, is that going to impact uh, Nylander's overall ice time, the average of 18 minutes and a half seconds. But again, that's a lot of presumptions based off a couple of trends in training camps. So that's why, I didn't want to drop him too far down my ranks. Uh, in terms of his ADP, I do think it's a little too rich um, for my liking right now, just because he doesn't really fill out, uh, doesn't hit at all. So he doesn't give you that complete category coverage that um, some of these other names that we talk about will, um, and maybe not quite as high of a goal scoring upside with a career 12.3% shooting percentage, never managing more uh, than 15% over a full season. So I, I think that just kind of caps his upside a little bit. But like I said, that the raw production, um it's just been so reliable over the last two seasons the shot volume has taken off the last couple of years 293 a season ago so a lot of reasons to like willie a couple of concerns i I think his adp is just a little too rich for me though uh going in the early third round not sure if i'll be a player for him but in in a vacuum he's still for sure the number five right winger i'd I'd have off the board yeah just going over the law the raw stats over the last two years uh he is 21st in the nhl in points uh, with 167 points in 163 games. So top 20, almost top 20 in points the last two seasons. 
but yeah, going 25th is a little bit rich for me as well. Don't think I'll be a player for him. Uh, but that does mean that if you draft Connor McDavid, William Nylander is going to be there. If, if you can lock in maybe some 44 uh, 40-40 production on the wing on a team that already has Connor McDavid. It might not be the worst start uh, to your draft. Beams, what do you guys say about Willie? Um, it, this is literally splitting hairs with the next guy that we're talking about here. So at, at that point, I think it's honestly, who do you want to watch more? Um, because we're talking about, um, I'm not going to say the guy's name, but two guys that just shoot the puck a lot, two guys that have high goal potential. I think uh, D kind of mentioned it, that the the... I get, we'll call it a project that they're doing with William Nylander where they're putting him on the third line, trying him at third center. Even if that they try that for 10 games, even if 15 games, maybe that could hurt his production enough that I want the guy ahead of him. But realistically, if it doesn't work after two games, you could see him in the same position as last year, which is a very, very, very nice fantasy position. So um, if we're talking about a guy almost cracking the top five, I like him a lot, but like he said, he's going really, really, really early for my liking. I think there's just a couple other names I like there that have a little bit more first line, first everything, um, even though he does play on that incredibly great power play, um, which is really where the value comes from. Um, yeah, but uh, it's uh, it, it was a tough one doing this one. This was probably harder for me than doing the back end of this top 10, even though I struggled. It's just been a big day of struggling. Yeah, you, here, you, so. just, you just could not put together a top 10. Right wing oh. today, but uh, coming in at number five, absolute f- uh, podcast favorite, native of Switzerland, Timo <laughs> Meyer. Last year, 40 goals, 26 assists, 66 points in 78 games. After being traded to the New Jersey Devils, he had nine goals, five assists, 14 points in 21 games. Uh, his ice time dropped from 20 minutes to 1747. Um, not really what you wanted to see there, but I think, you know, as he was kind of just getting used to his new surroundings. Um, you know, those are things that are going to change this year. It looks like he's going to be a player uh, that's going to line up with Jack Hughes this year, which is obviously, uh, I don't think we need to, to tell you that that is a very uh, good situation. If he's not with Jack Hughes, he's probably going to be with Nico Heischer, which is fine as well. Um, in the first training camp, a uh, couple days of training camp, yes, for Brad, Jack Hughes, Tyler Toffoli, uh, Timo Meyer was with Nico Heischer and Alexander Holt. So, uh, you know, a lot to like about the shot volume here. Uh, Nico Heischer, no slouch. He's not Jack Hughes, but he's no slouch, and, and, and he's going to be playing 20 minutes tonight. So I, I think we're, we're going to see a lot more playing time from Timo Meyer uh, in his first full season with the New Jersey Devils, and there's just a lot to like. We, we've talked about this for years. We were kind of waiting for this breakout to happen. It happened in 2022 when he had 35 goals, 41 assists, 76 points, 77 games. Uh, over the last two seasons combined, he is 17th in the NHL in goals with 75. So, uh, yeah, Timo Meyer, obviously somebody that we all like. I've got him at five. Beebs also has him at five. D, you're the lowest on him at eight. His current ADP is 36.5, which makes him the sixth right winger off the board. D, I mean, how can you discredit podcast favorite Timo Meyer like this. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, to me, like he, his raw production just doesn't offer that same upside. The shot volume the last few seasons has been uh, incredible. Yes, 326 two seasons ago. Last year finished at 327, but it did, uh, relatively speaking, fall off a cliff when he went to New Jersey. 255 shots through 57 games with the Sharks last year, so just under five shots a game. He gets to New Jersey and he fires 72 and 21 games. So less than four shots again. It's a pretty significant jump, especially for a guy with a career shooting percentage of 10 and percent. We've never seen him shoot higher than 12.2% in the season. 
So, yeah, he had 40 goals last season, but to me, he's a guy that needs to shoot the puck 330 times to score 40 goals. Um, and you look at his production when he was in similar a role to where I think he's going to be in New Jersey when San Jose's top six was a little bit more crowded. He was limited to 16, 17 minutes of ice. Uh, he was more of a 30-30 type guy, right? And that's kind of what I'm worried about with taking Meyer here. There's just so many mouths to feed in New Jersey now. Those young wingers that were battling him for ice time have only gotten better, and they add Tyler Toffoli to the mix. So this is top six has only gotten more crowded um, since he kind of struggled to find his footing in it last season. So, yeah, just a lot of concerns. But at the same time, obviously, um, the category coverage is fantastic. He's still going to be shooting the, pot, uh, the puck a lot, just might not be around five times a game. Um, and he's still going to be throwing the body around a ton. But I, I, I really have a hard time imagining him being anywhere near the 19 and a half minutes he posted for the full season last year. I think it's going to be a lot closer to the 1747 he did down the stretch, if not a little bit less now that the Foley's there too. Mercer only getting better, uh, Brad only improving more. So yeah, there's just, there's just a lot going on in New Jersey, and I'm a little bit worried, and I am very hesitant to, to take him uh, as high as he's going right now. Still love that. Um, I, I'm kind of, kind of the opposite, not, not the opposite. I mean, I, it, like I said, I, I love Nylander. I also love Meyer. Um, one thing when, when Meyer came into New Jersey last year, they were in a battle for the Metro with Carolina and it was a neck and neck thing. And what was happening in New Jersey was really, it was working. Um, so even when they made the trade, I think a lot of people were like, Whoa, Whoa, like is the rich getting too rich at this point? Um, and I think that's kind of why we saw Meyer get that less ice. I mean, obviously I could be completely wrong. And if I am, then D is going to be very right on this one, but I'm kind of hoping that with an off season, with some time to work with those top lines that were really clicking with other pieces last year um, before he came along, that if he can translate his game over, I love the potential. Like you said, he shoots a ton. He does all these category filling things. And if he can stick there at that top line, um, then, then he's just going to become a monster. And, uh, I will say there there is a ton of mouths to feed in New Jersey. That's absolutely true. I also think they're going to lead the league in goals this year and likely shots um, with what's going on around there. The reason that I have both Meyer and Nylander kind of fighting here is because it's, it's all a bunch of hypotheticals um, for both, which kind of sucks. If either of them had a coach that they're not, not, I don't blame the coaches, but if we knew hundred percent, they're sticking with their, one of those top sixes, um, then they would go jump ahead of the other one for me. So uh, I just, think uh i think meyer's gonna be a little bit more comfortable there we've never really seen him with a with a really dangerous roster around him and i think that uh friend of the show timu meyer might be in for a a really really big breakthrough here yeah i think the one thing for me is that they didn't give him eight years 8.8 million dollars make him you know give him more money than what they they're paying jack hughes to play 17 minutes a night uh he got a bag obviously uh, they envision him being a key part of this offense moving forward. And I do think that um, he is going to be, you know, maybe not quite up to 19 and a half minutes uh, per game, but he's probably going to be closer to 19 than he is 17 uh, this season. So I, 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 I think he just offers more category coverage um, than some of these other guys, which, which is, you know, why I have him slightly ahead, but yeah, like 40 goals, um, you know, 300 shots and 150 hits is, is, is very, very productive, but I will say D a, a, as much as, um, you know, I do like Timo. I, I think like same as Willie, like 25.5 ADP for Willie 36.5 yeah. ADP for Timo. I think they're both pretty rich. 
yeah, I just don't think he gets the 19 minutes without an injury. Like, sure, they they paid him. They also traded Sharon Govich in a third-round pick for Toffoli, so there's reason they did that as well. Um, and, you know, they signed him to that contract before the playoff stretch, and he played 16 minutes a night in the postseason, four points in 11 games. So I'm just concerned, and I, I really don't think he gets up near that usage without an injury. But that's just me. That's why I'm staying away. Moving on to number four. Uh, this is kind of where the elite of the elite right wingers start coming off the board. Number four, we have Mitch Marner. All three of us have Mitch Marner ranked fourth. His ADP is 17.3, which makes him the fourth right winger off the board. So uh, I think it's a, pr- a pretty clear cut uh, top four here. We're all pretty much have the exact same rankings. We're all right in line with ADP. Mitch Marner obviously coming off an outstanding season with the Toronto Maple Leafs last year. 30 goals, 69 assists, 99 points. Uh, yeah, just just so unfortunate to, to fall that short of 100 points. But um, back-to-back, 97 and 98-point seasons. He did the 97 points in just 72 games. So this guy uh, has the look and has the, the makings of a player that is going to score 100 points. It's just a matter of time. Uh, so yeah, you guys talked about how the Maple Leafs are seemingly tinkering with things a little bit, taking a look at, and what does it look like with William Nylander down the middle? What does it look like with John Tavares, uh, you know, without William Nylander on his wing? The one thing that hasn't changed is that Mitch Marner is skating with Austin Matthews. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, currently the third member of that line. Matthews and Marner have obviously had a ton of success together. D, you are our resident Leafs fan. Is there any reason not to expect him to get close to 100 points this year? Uh, no, I think injury would be the only thing that could, uh, stop him from threatening with it again. Um, obviously the only knock on Marner. And again, this is just relative to the other names we're going to be talking about and why we have him ranked four is the goal scoring. Uh, he's topped out at 35 in his career. The shot volume just doesn't really lend itself to much more than that. He had 30 goals last year while shooting 15.3% cause he passed the puck or shot the puck, excuse me, just 196 times. Um, and I think you can continue to expect both of those things um, to happen. He's, you know, he's not going to be the first option to shoot um, anytime he's on the ice, as long as he's playing with Austin Matthews. But Matthews draws so much attention. Everyone knows that obviously Marner's that um, that pass first sort of player for him. Uh, and it ends up just opening up, you know, a little bit uh, more of uh, high danger shooting opportunities for Marner. So um, doesn't shoot quite as much, but you can expect those uh, the quality of the shots to still be very high. So I think he'll still comfortably finish around 15 percent shooting the puck wise, which gives him that comfortable uh, floor in terms of goal scoring of around 30 to 35 goals. And then you n- just know at this point with the cast around him that he's going to be piling in somewhere around 60 assists, maybe upwards of 70 if the, the puck lets a little bit fortunate or if the power play is just a little bit hotter this season. Um, so, yeah, whole lot to love, uh, but doesn't throw his body around enough, you know, decent amount, 53 times last year. So, you know, it's not that it's completely absent from his game. He does kill a lot of penalties and that kind of just comes naturally um, with playing so much or spending so much time in your own zone while the other team has the puck. Uh, but, yeah, it's not like something you're going to rely on for him. And the, the lack of goal scoring upside, at least in terms of everyone we're talking about, has easy 40 goal upside, potentially 50 if, if they catch uh, they catch fire at the right time. and. Marner just unfortunately doesn't fall into that category. So that's why he's outside of the top three, but very clearly number four for me. Yeah, definitely yeah. hits more than Johnny Gaudreau does. Beebs, you missed it when we were talking it on uh, on the left wing episode, but I think it was two years ago oh, or three God. years ago, he had one hit one season. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in the last four years combined, he has a whopping 24 hits in total. So 
uh, imagine you're the one six. guy who got hit by him you're like what what did like what did i do anyways yeah. i'm sure you guys crossed that bridge we actually did it so that was that's an absolutely <laughs> uh fair point not much to probably add here on marner probably gonna score 30 goals probably gonna have 60 plus assists probably gonna be close to 100 points do you have anything to add uh no just the reason why i mean I guess I'll start with I expect him to make it past the century point this year um, just because, you know, he's going to be hungry after 99 last year. I fully expect a 35 70 season. Just the guys ahead of him. I just, you know, expect a couple more goals, a couple more shots. And uh, I I, I consider that uh, a little bit more valuable. But at the same time, you know, projecting guy for 105, 110, I kind of have the guys ahead of him just a little bit higher with a little more goals. And we're talking about superstars here. So, um, yeah, no, I, I. I'd love Mitch Marner if you can get him in drafts, though, because he's awesome. I, I think he's the clear gatekeeper for us yes. in, in terms of the tiers here, right? Because um, he's quite clearly the, the fourth of that group for all of us. But, um, yeah, he's he's close enough to on that same level. For me, like with, with his ADP going at 17, he he's probably the last of right wings that I would take until you get into kind of that fifth, sixth round range, or the fourth, fifth round range, excuse me, with Clayton Keller uh, and Debrinkat that we talked about earlier because the likes of – Timo Meyer, Nylander, talk the guys that are going in between them, just a, a little too rich for my taste. So yeah, I think he's the, the clear gatekeeper where if, you know, if you're in the second round and Marner's there, or if he falls into the third round, it's a great selection. And then otherwise you can probably keep your eye off the position for a few rounds. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a clear cut kind of, he's the fourth. And then the top three are, are just absolutely the elite yeah. of the elite. Like um, if I miss on those four, I'm waiting a couple rounds before I go back to the position. Spot on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of more goals, Miko Rantanen piled in 55 last year to go along with 50 assists for a career high 105 points. Uh, just outstanding career high in shots as well. Not much to really say that, you know, about Miko Rantanen. Like he played 22 minutes a night, he had 105 points, he scored 50 goals, 50 assists. Like, you know, these are like Leon Dreisaitl type numbers, just absolutely insane. Um, he was number two for me, number three for each of you. Uh, so I'm slightly higher. He comes in ADP of 8.8, which is the third right winger off the board. Um, so yeah, like I just expect a whole lot more of the same this year. I, I think like, is he going to play 22 minutes a night? I really have no idea. Um, uh, I, I don't think that team got a whole lot better in the offseason. Uh, I think anything they might have gotten potentially worse. Um, huh? Huh? But 22 minutes a night is certainly something that's on the table for Miko Randon again. And if he's around that number, it's just like there's no way of stopping this guy from putting in 50 goals and 50 assists again. Um, and then for me, we'll just skip ahead. I think it's pretty obvious that. David or uh, Nikita Kucherov is number two. I have Rantan at, at two and Kucherov at three, just because he offers way more goal scoring upside. Uh, you know, we, we've seen a career high 41 goals three, four years ago from, from Kucherov, just 30 goals a season ago. So yes, the, the points might be there from Kucherov, but I just don't think he's got the same goal scoring as Miko, especially if Miko's out there playing 22 minutes a night, which is two full minutes uh, more than Nikita Kucherov, but beeps. You are our resident Avalanche fan, um, and you still have him ranked behind Akita Kudrov. Why is that? It hurt me a lot to do. It really did. Um, I think uh, it, it has a lot. Also, I'd like to say um, I think Colorado got better in the offseason, but we can we can have that debate on another show. Um, they just got deeper. But um, rant, one thing about Ranton's season in 
impressively last year you mentioned he had played just ton of ice but Nathan McKinnon missed 11 games and he was kind of in and out in a few more so those are games that if he does play 82 with, with Rantanen that could be what pushes him over 60 um with that said I went with Kucherov just because I'm still thinking about that 41 goal 87 assist season from 2018-19 we can laugh about it but that is the potential that this guy has and if he does take it to that next level which he's kind of flirted with before I think he is a little bit more valuable than Ranton and I think he just has a, a higher potential to hit that 120 130 point but at the same time this is another case of who do you want to watch and who do you like more um if you're you know Ranton's the younger player I guess I'm just not ready to to pass that throne down from Kucherov um this is a guy we were talking about flirting with uh do you draft him over Connor McDavid a few years ago and this is obviously it's a different Connor McDavid now but he still was in that range and uh you said it uh Ranton is a poor man's Leon Dreisaitl and I kind of love that I had to hide my excitement because uh you know I can't get too excited over here but um I think uh realistically you're picking a guy who's gonna be an absolute stud if your league's a crazy one that counts plus minus I would definitely go the Ranton and route um he is likely gonna shoot a or go a plus 20 plus where I don't know if Kucherov can give you that. He usually flirts around the even mark. So um, I, I, I guess uh, I just need one more year of ranted and doing exactly what he did last year. And he is going to, I won't even question this decision. He will have number two, but uh, Kucherov still got 2018, 19 U in my brain. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we're just underselling Kucherov's playmaking ability a little bit too. And just how much that factors in, like I'm always going to favor goals more than assists for sure. But this is a guy that's almost been in an assist per game over the last two seasons, 127 assists in his last 129 games. Um, and I, I really do think that, you know, just looking at them and uh, looking at the two of them and talking about their goal scoring upside, I think we're a little bit swayed over the fact that Rantanen enjoyed his best year shooting the puck in terms of shooting percentage last year and Kucherov, uh, the worst rate he's ever put over a first full season, over a full season. So I think there's some positive regression in that regard coming Kucherov's way and uh, perhaps a little bit of negative regression coming. Uh, for rant and in shooting percentage. And when you shoot the puck 300 times, a two, three, 4% difference, that can be up, you know, we're talking about six to 12 goals on the year. So if he is around, you know, 14, 15%, even if he shoots the puck as often as he did, he plays as much as he did last year, he's probably going to come in closer to 40 to 45 goals. Uh, Kucherov, he shoots a little bit higher. And again, around 15% where he's at for his career, then he's going to probably be above the 40 goal mark. And at that point, I'd much rather have the, you know, 40 to 30 extra assists that you're going to get out of Kucherov. So that's kind of how I worked it all out in my mind, but super hard decision uh, at the top of the draft, which uh, always means that there is no wrong decision. So uh, I'm with bees. I think this is one where, you know, fantasy hockey is supposed to be fun. I'd probably just opt for the player that, and the team that I enjoy watching more. Um, but yeah, it, it could go either way. But for me, I, I don't think they're that far apart on goal scoring where it makes up for the fact that uh, Kucherov is the greatest playmaker that we've seen in the last, you know, 20, 30 years of hockey. Yeah, it, it's worth noting that ADP is 8 for Kucherov and 8.8 .8 for Ranton. So clearly the general public also yeah. having a difficult time figuring out which one of these to take. Uh, obviously, yeah, some injury issues with, with Kucherov over the last couple of years, uh, last three years. But uh, 111 points uh, per 82 games during that time. So yeah, like we can look back at, at his 128-point season and be like, yeah, he, he's got that capability but like even just what he's done since then, he's averaged 111 points mm -hmm. uh, per 82 games. Not to mention he missed 40 
ish games uh, two years ago, but he still sits eighth in the NHL uh, in assists over the yeah, last two years. Yeah, and a full regular years. season between that. That just didn't mm-hmm. seem to impact yeah. him at all somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yo, we're back. We're fine. So, see you for the playoffs. Uh, yeah. See you in the playoffs. We're going to the chip. Uh, but yeah. So, injury is, is, I guess, another factor with Kucherov, but certainly a guy that I've had plenty of fantasy shares in over the years. I absolutely love Kucherov. Uh, but give me maybe 50 from Miko. Uh, and then, yeah, the ADP is obviously, you know, right there with these two. Uh, coming in at number one, we all have him at number one, David Pasternak. His ADP is 3.7, clearly the number one right winger off the board. David Pasternak enjoyed an outstanding season a year ago. I think, obviously, scoring 61 goals, having 407 shots, is great um i don't know what more you can say about that i am probably not gonna have any david pasternak this year though i i just i think the 3.7 adp is too rich um you know bergeron's gone krejci's gone i i just don't feel great about that situation when investing uh, like the third overall pick in this guy. To me, there's just so many better situations. Yeah, last year was great, but like but prior to that, he he had really, you know, 40 goals on 312 shots uh, in 2022. Like that seems more realistic than him shooting over 400 times. Now, you could look at it one of two ways, right? Like you can look at it that his surrounding cast got worse and, and it's going to, you know, deplete his offense, but also, maybe now he has less competition and he's going to fire 500 shots. Like, there's two ends of the spectrum here, right? So, that brings me to the Betway bet of the day. Over under David Pasternak, 47 and a half goals at Betway right now, minus 115. Obviously, I mentioned he scored 61 last year. The year previous, he had 40 in, in, in 72 games. Four years ago, he had 48. But he's only topped this mark twice in his career. D, we'll start with you. David Pasternak, over 47 and a half goals at minus 115 this year. Uh, I will take the over on that. I don't feel great about him replicating, you know, the five shots the game he had last year either, but I, I still feel like he really just took his game to another level last season. Um, and obviously, you know, the terrific two-way play of Patrice Bergeron and the amount of offensive zone time that buys Pasternak at 5v5, you can't overstate that. That was a big factor. Um, and he was a lot better playing with Bergeron last season than he was Zaka. Um, but having said that, he played just over 200 minutes with Bergeron at 5v5 last year. He was just under 600 with Zaka. So even though, yeah, the situation was a whole lot better um, with Bergeron last year, 75% of that 5v5 ice time came alongside Zaka. And that was obviously a huge chunk of him shooting the puck five times a game. So I just think he is a little bit different and a little bit uh, unique in in all the best ways and um, you know to a certain degree you can't really put a price on that he throws his hit, uh, body around a decent amount too over hit per game last season so you're getting some surprising category coverage there obviously with shots you're going to have really good chance at pulling on that category each week um, with Pasternak on your squad so um, I do agree that maybe it's a little bit high um, I'm probably, you know, but I, yeah, I don't think I'm more than like three or four selections behind his ADP in, in terms of overall. So hopefully there are some leagues where he falls to me. Um, but McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews, uh, McCarr, Kachuk, and then maybe McKinnon. Those are probably the only guys that I would I would take above him. And then potentially Jack Hughes if he carried wing eligibility too. 
Um, but yeah, so to me, it's not that far off. He's far and away the best right wing um, in, in my eyes. And uh, the only winger that I would take off the board ahead of him is probably Matthew Kachuk. And uh, like we talked about on the left wing pod, potentially Brady Kachuk, depending on your format and, and the category coverage he, he gives you. So yeah, uh, it's rarefied air up there. Maybe it's a little bit too high, but I don't think it's it's anything uh, outrageous. And I wouldn't blame you if you want to bet on the 400 shots and the 61 goals. Yeah, the only thing that concerns me is obviously he did spent a lot of time with Zaka last year, but a lot of that time was with Zaka on the wing with David Krejci. So Zaka moving to center and, and, and not having David Krejci down the middle, I think is where I get yeah. a little bit nervous. Like you, you but again, it was, it was, it's not like it was anything special with Krejci either. Right. And maybe it is a little bit worse, but it was like, I don't know. I don't expect it to be that big, but I, you're totally right. That's fine. And, and, and you know what though, too, a lot of time last year, they, they had Marshawn with Bergeron and, and Zaka with Krejci and Pasternak. So there's obviously the potential for Marshawn and Pasternak to reunite in, in some capacity this year as well. So, there's obviously a lot of moving parts. It looks like early in camp, it's so hard to read lines through some of these teams. But early in camp, uh, it seems like it's something along the lines of like JVR, Zach, Pasternak, Marshawn, Coyle, DeBrusque. That's the early, you know, what it looks like at the moment. But again, that, that, that could change by game one. That could change five games in and, and we could see Marshawn right back up. Uh, Beams, before we go to you, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the over as well. Hmm. Um, because B, D, you alluded to it, he he, it, it was it was different last year, right? Like you don't just go and add a hundred shots on goal, right? Like that's just a different player. Um, you and can't. I don't think it was thirty-nine-year-old Bergeron taking a big step forward in his game, right? Like no, it's probably no. the same guy he has been for for thirty years. But yeah, yeah. It, it just it looked like a different guy last year, and I think the mo- the most insane part of it all is that he shot a hundred more times than he had ever done previously. And his shooting percentage was higher than it had ever, like higher than his career average. Like how did, how do you shoot more and score like at a that higher to me rate? This makes no to, sense. That to me speaks like it was more in a change in approach from like the entire team and just looking to get the guy, the puck as much as possible, as opposed to him. OV style. Yeah. Justifying or changing, you know, his approach to the game. I think if, if that's what it was and he's like, I'm going to, throw the puck on on that as many times uh, as I can, we would have seen the impact on that on his conversion rate and his shooting percentage. But yeah, I think it's more of a, let's do everything we can to get this guy the puck as much as possible because he's able to get the puck off from some outrageous angles with some uh, outrageous velocity and accuracy on it. And he's been doing it his whole career. So yeah, his release is absolutely uh, second to none, but the the other thing, like Beebs, you just said the O like kind of like Ovi. The the craziest thing was 43 of his goals, 43 of his 61 goals came at even strength. So it's not like mm-hmm. he was just a power play merchant just sitting there ripping, you know, one tees all day long. Like, yeah, sure, he still scored 18 power play goals. Don't get me wrong, he was effective there. But like at 5v5 last year, or at even strength 43 goals. Now we're we're saying, is he gonna score over 47 goals this year? I think it's an easy over. Maybe not easy, but I, I do think that this guy's still somebody that's going to get to 50 goals. So uh, I did mention that I, I think 3.7 on ADP is a little bit rich. But again, I have a ranked like sixth overall. So I do still yeah. like him in the middle of the first round. I do still think he's going to be one of the best goal scorers, if not the best goal scorer in the NHL right now. Um, so Beebs, the question is twofold. One, will he get over 47 and a half goals at minus 115? And two, will he get over 400 shots again? Uh, I gotta, I gotta honestly say yes to both. Not, not, to, not to make things boring. Cause you know, we love the, we love the battle about this, but it, it's hard to go against this. 
Um, I, 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 you actually kind of mentioned something I was going to get into. Their power play was 12th in the NHL last year, only hitting at 22% with him kind of being that crazy shooting option so i could if they improve that even three percent that could lead to a couple more power play goals and you mentioned how good the 5v5 production is he's clearly they clearly have something going right there i don't think much is going to change they're incredibly deep defensively which allows them just to push forward or sorry on the back end not maybe often or maybe not with um as far as their forwards go defensively um but with just how good their their deep pairings are it allows him to kind of them to just push the play forward a lot dominate puck possession and uh, I think 400 shots is very much in the play this year. Um, I don't think there's really a big difference as far as who's taking shots by putting Zaka there. Even JVR. I mean, JVR knows his role. Um, or Charlie Coyle, whoever the hell goes JVR on that. JVR could not be a first-line winger like the whole season. I, just, I don't think not... so. I, I think it's more like JVR goes stand in front of the net and then bangs the pucks yeah. around the boards and let's That's just That's maybe the a... issue is how many how many goals does JVR steal from Pasternak from just standing in front of the net this year? It's like and that's the real question. I just yeah. want to point out. Did again, we miss that? Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what Vegas he, knows. That's why they have it. Fourteen goals last. Year. Like JVR is going to snipe at least like ten off his ass. If you take away last year and just look at the four previous seasons, he didn't play eighty-two games over that time. Obviously, there's two short seasons, but. He averaged 47 goals per 82 games in the four seasons prior to that. And last year goes out and scores 61. So to me, 47 and a half seems like a, a line that I will be hitting the over on. Do yeah. You have I, any final thoughts? No, to me, that's just betting on him to stay healthy, which, you know, yeah, no exactly. one's immune from yeah. the injury bug. And he, prior to last season, uh, hadn't played a full 82 since 27, 18. Um, obviously, as you said, Brock, some shortened seasons in there as well, but. Uh, yeah, so I, but to me, with the step he, he took forward last season, yeah, I think if he gets anywhere near 82 games, he, he hits that mark pretty easily. That was the Betway bet of the day. Please play responsibly. Must be 19 years of age or older. That was also the first half of the DFO Fantasy Podcast right wing positional preview. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to talk about our top three sleepers, busts, and breakouts at the right wing position. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 9, Episode 4 of the DFO Fantasy Podcast. A very Sergey Berezin episode of the podcast, or nice. a very Yannick Perot version uh, whichever fits your fancy cuts. brought to you by Betway. Please gamble responsibly. Okay. We're going to get into, uh, the second half of the show here. Uh, as always, I think the best part of the show, the most informative part of the show, we're going to be talking about sleeper breakouts and busts. These are going to be the names that maybe aren't rolling off of everyone's lips heading into draft season, but some guys, maybe for a good reason, maybe for a not so great reason that, uh, we really, uh, want to keep an eye on. So Beebs, we're going to start it off with you here. We're going to first be looking at some sleepers here. Uh, so who do you think people are just hitting the snooze button on a little too hard heading into this uh, NHL season? 
Yeah, I think people are absolutely hammering that snooze button on Jordan Cairo out in St. Louis. Um, current ADP is 92, and this actually has been rising astronomically quick. Maybe one of the quickest offseason uh, pre-draft ADP rises that we've seen, but still, I do think he's getting very much slept on at the 92nd overall pick. Uh, I think Kyrou when we finished... did the first episode of the season, he was like 140. Yeah, like he was. He, it he was, was like, we were like, this makes no sense. Yeah. And, uh, and it's going up like 10 spots a day now. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's like, it's ju- every day I go and it's just jumped 10 more spots. Like he's he's climbed like at least 30, maybe 50 spots in the last week and a half. Hey, when Robert Thomas comes out to the St. Louis media and says, I am guaranteeing Jordan Kyrou scores 50, you you watch that ADP jump. Uh, that happened over the weekend. And uh, that's not the reason why I think he's a sleeper. But um, it does help to have your teammates' confidence. Kyrou finished 20, 22, 23 with 37 goals, which was good for 25th in the NHL. 73 points, which was good for 48th in the NHL. And 272 shots on goal, which was good for 19th in the NHL. Let me remind you, he is going as the 92nd player off the board on average. Um, he did all this while averaging 18 total minute or 18 minutes time on ice uh, per night. And we just kind of watched St. Louis fall apart last season. Uh, there was only one player who actually averaged less ice time, and that was Jared McCann um, than Kyrou, who finished with more goals. So Kyrou has room to get more ice, which in turn can lead to things that we talked about category fillers him potentially getting 300 shots with that i think we could see Kyrie reach that 40 goal mark or as robert thomas said 50 goals in the last two seasons he's been incredibly consistent which is why i don't really get why he's getting this slept on usually the sleeper guys have an off year they get injured something happens i think people just don't like st louis is what it is they realistically can't be worse than last year but the last two seasons uh, Jordan Kyrou has 64 goals, which is good for 36th in the NHL. He has 148 points, which is good for 39th in the NHL. And he has continued to absolutely rip the puck with 460 shots, good for 38th in the NHL. These are all very good fantasy categories. And these are categories that realistically he's pushing top 40 in all of them over the last two seasons. So for him to be going more than double the amount of 40th is absolutely bonkers couple names going around him different positions so it does kind of change things but Devin Tays out in Colorado Tyson Berry in Nashville Matt Zuccarello who's a very similar left wing right wing a winger or and even Jonathan Marchessault are all going right around the same point as Kyrou he is the offense in St. Louis he is the one of the driving forces they are thin but at the end of the day they have to play their best players and Jordan Kyrie is going to be right there doing that. I think that this is a guy that we could see take his game even further than what we've seen, which uh, if you're getting even 35-35 from him at the 90th position, you're still getting value, and you could still be content with that. But I think you're going to get way more this year if he stays healthy, which he very much should. So I think uh, I think we got to stop hammering the old snoozer on Jordan Cairo. He also has center and right wing eligibility on Yahoo, which makes him a little bit nicer um, of an option for me. Not to, not to say I'd even take that into consideration at this point um, in the draft, if I could get him. But yeah, I, I love Cairo this year. Yeah. It, it's crazy to me that we were talking about how he was a sleeper at like 140 or whatever he was like a week, two weeks ago. 
and then he's risen like 50 spots. And it's like, yeah, like this is, he's still just a sleeper. It just makes no sense. Uh, yeah, it, he actually came in pretty high on our consensus top uh, 15 or, or top 10 uh, right wingers. He came in at 11th. That's exactly where I have him ranked. Beebs, you have him a little bit higher at 10th. D, you have him at 14th. Overall, he's the 17th uh, right winger off the board. Just to quickly add on Cairo a little bit. Um, it just, it, it just seems to improve every year, right? The minutes go up, the shot volume goes up. Uh, and the production follows. So yeah, 272 shots added nearly a hundred shots uh, from the year previous. We just said no one adds a hundred shots in a year. Jordan Cairo did that. Um, obviously a lot of that had to do with the ice time increase, but this is like a team, like you said, Beebs, that doesn't really have a whole lot of other options. If you look at the rest of their wingers, um, like they're okay. Just kind of filler wingers like Jakob Vrana, Kasperi Kapanen, Brandon Saad, they're all fine, but um, I, I, I really do think you can see Kairou, you know, pushing for a lot more minutes here in, in, in the 2024 season, because they don't have a lot of other options. And if they want to be competitive, if they want to, uh, win hockey games, they're going to need to lean heavily on the guys like Jordan Kairou. If you look at the second half of last season, uh, right around 18 minutes a night. So you, you'd expect to be, you know, maybe 18, 18 and a half, 19 minutes this year, um, yeah, I love Jordan Cairo, and like I said, he is, you know, it's not just you, Biebs. We've, we've got him 11th, and he Collective. is 17th off the board at the moment. I'll go next here. My sleeper is Sam Reinhardt. His current ADP is 110.3. Uh, like Jordan Cairo, we are much, much higher on Sam Reinhardt than his ADP would suggest. Uh, the general public is. I have him at 16. Beebs, you're actually the highest on him at 13. D, you got him at 17. Overall, he's our consensus number 15 right winger. His current ADP of 110.3 makes him the 23rd right winger off the board at the moment. So uh, obviously, you know, really, really nice value. All three of us uh, believe that. And he's quietly been really, really productive in his first two seasons with the Florida Panthers. He's tied with Clayton Keller and Patrick Kane from 35th in the NHL with 149 points during those two seasons. Uh, Keller is going four to five rounds earlier than Ryan Hart, which, you know, to me makes him a, a terrific value pick in around the 10th round, 9th, 10th round. Uh, he saw a ton of ice time last year, averaged close to 20 minutes a night, will continue to be a key factor for the Panthers at 5v5 and on the power play. Also does uh, quite a bit of penalty killing as well. Um, last year, we saw him set a new career high in shots on goal, uh, which to me will just kind of solidify that 30-goal pace uh, that we've seen from him the last three seasons. You know, To me, the only, I guess, knock on Reinhardt is I don't think like he has like an elite ceiling. Like, you know, mate, like I think Jordan Cairo literally could go absolutely nuclear this year where Reinhardt, uh, I, I do like him as a value pick, but I think like at best, you're probably going to get a point per game player. Um, but again, in the ninth, 10th round, you, you'll absolutely take that, especially if you, if you elect to go uh, with some other positions early in the draft and he ends up being like your number two right winger. Uh, I think he really provides a, a steady uh, force. And, and I think the other thing too is the Florida Panthers moved on from a couple of pieces this off season that, that, you know, should, should open up ice time for Reinhardt. I said, he plays a lot. Um, but last year he, he played a lot with the likes of like Anton Lindell uh, didn't get a whole lot of run with Barkov. Like he, he did see, you know, quite a bit, but like not a full season's run uh, with Barkov. So I think with some of their, you know, moving out some of those pieces like Anthony Duclair uh, leaves a little bit more room for, for Reinhardt to skate uh, a more full-time role with Alexander Barkov. With that said, 
I talked about in the last episode. Grigory Denisenko has spent some time with Barkov. Like, we could still see Reinhardt on the third line with Lundell. But at the end of the day, we've seen what he's capable of doing in that role. And it's been really, really consistent production. If he ends up playing a first-line role, it could be uh, much, much more. DIC, unmute the, the mic here. What do you got to say? Uh, no, I just agree. Um, pretty much on, on all accounts. I, I think he does offer a really steady floor. Um, but to your point, you know, he did need a 14% on a shooting percentage to top a point per game in 21-22. So I do agree that that's probably best case scenario for him. It's hard to imagine him um, pushing in much further uh, than that point per game plateau. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he is super reliable production, especially for where he's going in the draft. Um, and, you know, we always talk about how great it is to um, and how, you know, exciting all these guys are with all the upside in the world. But at the end of the day, when you're building a roster, you really do need a mix. You can't just build a team off of kind of uh, risky, high upside uh, plays. You need some stability and some floor to the team. And this is a great uh, route to get that in at a ch pretty cheap spot uh, at a relatively thin position. Availability is the best ability, and he's only missed 14 games in seven career seasons as well so a guy that you can pick and just get reliable production and you can rely on him being in your lineup on a nightly basis uh d why don't you take it away with your 2024 fantasy hockey sleeper yeah i'm gonna talk about a guy that um we gave a lot of love i gave a lot of love during the second half of last season and that's owen Tippett, uh average draft position right now 167 right winger for the philadelphia flyers for those unaware but yeah um this has kind of been a theme for me so far. A lot of my sleepers and breakouts were guys that we absolutely loved in the second half of last season. And we're more or less just looking to see uh, more of the same over a full 82 games. So anyone that listened last year won't be surprised to hear me talk up Tippett here. He's a former 10th overall pick way back in the 2017 NHL entry draft. Uh, he's been someone that I've always kind of kept my eye on. He's been on my watch list in my dynasty league for years, just because um, really just interested to see what he could do in an expanded role. Um, and some additional ice time because the shot volume and per 60 rates in general were just consistently off the charts throughout the year and a half uh, that he saw with the Panthers. But for some reason, he was just never reward, rewarded, excuse me, with the increase in ice time that the numbers clearly indicated he deserved. He was consistently registering around two shots a goal on goal a game, despite being limited to the fourth line, playing less than 12 minutes of ice time. Uh, across the parts of those two seasons with the Panthers. So he always seemed to be a great potential candidate to skate alongside Barkov, never got the chance. Uh, and then just before the 2022 trade deadline, part of that package that the Panthers put together to acquire Claude Giroux from the Flyers. So that's where he's been since. Uh, again, began in that bottom six role for Philly, but unlike during the time in Florida, uh, he was rewarded for his relatively strong production at the bottom of the lineup. And last year was able to work his way all the way uh, to the first line um, and surprise, surprise, you know, he was every bit as productive in that expanded role. Uh, the raw production saw a massive boost as a result. And across the whole or the whole 22-23 season, Tippett fired 231 shots on goal in 77 games en route to scoring 27 goals and adding 22 assists. Uh, and remember, that was with spending much of the first half of the year in the Flyers' bottom six. So after battling for that ice time throughout the first half, he really did become a staple in their top six in early January and never looked back. And this is the sample that I'm talking about that we're just looking to see more of over a full 82. Over his last 35 games, he recorded 127 shots on goal, along with 14 goals and 11 assists while playing over 19 minutes a night. So that's a 33 goal, but 290 shot pace over a full 82 games. The finishing so far to his career has left a little bit to be desired, career rate of just 9.8%. But volume and finishing are two things that we generally see increase as a player and improve as a player enters their prime seasons, as we expect Tippett to be right now. So even if he's 
limited though to a similar conversion rate this season for me that incredible volume that he's uh, looks to be on pace to put up makes him a safe bet to get you a 30 30 season at the very end of your draft uh, and if you're in a categories or points league that accounts for shots or hits then he could end up being one of the biggest steals of the whole draft he registered 125 hits last year again playing much of that time in a sheltered role that should only continue to grow with more ice time uh, and then on top of the shot he got or that on top of the gaudy shot volume excuse me uh, makes him a reliable category filling goal scorer that you can steal towards the bottom of your draft currently being drafted in the middle of the 14th round. So big fan of Owen Tippett this year. Yeah. If you look at it, he's currently being drafted as the 34th right winger off the board. So super, super deep. I have a much, much higher in my rankings. Mm -hmm. I have him as the 21st uh, ranked right winger compared to his current ADP. I've got him ranked like four or five rounds uh, earlier. So I'm, I'm fully on board. Uh, a player that, that like you, I've always liked and I've always kept an eye on him. He's always had impressive shot volume. Yeah. It was just like a matter of when he would get those minutes. And, and as soon as he did, I mean, he, the production yeah. followed. And He's uh, on Torts' good side, and that's a, that's a hard side to get on. And when you're on it, good things do happen. So, yeah. <laughs> this isn't, uh, this isn't, you know, false that, that is very true um <laughs> and and like yeah like it, it would it's just gonna be really nice to see if he can kind of just completely carry that production from the second half uh into this year i think another thing that that could potentially help him obviously he built a pretty good rapport with morgan frost i'd imagine that, that those two probably still see uh plenty of ice time together but obviously sean couture back in the fold as well uh, could be a, a nice player to to put with, with Owen Tippett as well. We'll see how, how the lines shake out as training camp progresses. But yeah, absolutely love what you get from Owen Tippett. D, let's go right back to you uh, because you've got the the uh, one of the more high-profile busts uh, at the right-wing position. Sure. And yeah, we're going to talk about Claude Giroux here. Um, current average draft position of 73 Perfect segue, uh, really, to go from Owen Tippett to Claude Giroux. It's like... Yeah, right. It just fits. Exactly. Yeah, he even got a little uh, alluded to it a little bit uh, in uh, in the Tippet rant there. But yeah, this one's pretty simple for me. Um, really not trying to overthink this one. At his current ADP, Giroud just really leaves you with no room for upside. Uh, he was fairly fortunate shooting the puck last season, and I think he'll need to get just as much puck luck this year to justify taking him in the sixth round, which is where he's going on average right now. Uh, he had a couple of down years towards the end of his tenure in Philly and then enjoyed that nice spell. 18-game uh, stint with the Panthers following the 2022 trade deadline, parlayed that into a nice little contract with the Senators, uh, and certainly rode that momentum into his first season in Ottawa. He finished with a career-high 35 goals and added 44 assists for a total of 79 points in 82 games, uh, which made him one of the more reliable right-wingers in fantasy hockey last season. Uh, but I think those drafting him in the sixth round, expecting a repeat performance this season, are almost sure to be disappointed. Giroux registered a 16.4% shooting percentage, the second highest he's posted over a full season, and a very drastic improvement over the 10.7% he averaged over the four seasons before that. So uh, quite obviously, I think this is not a case of a player breaking out and developing you know, a whole new level of finishing ability. Giroux's 36 years old now, um, so I think it's pretty unwise to assume he's taken this massive step forward and all of a sudden he's going to be one of the better finishers in the league when he's made a career off of being an elite playmaker and a volume shooter. So uh, it's obvious he was quite fortunate to me anyway to pot 35 goals on just 214 shots last year and I really do think he'll need to be every bit of lucky if he's going to return value on this pick so I'm completely out on him this year just where he's going at ADP I still think he'll be a useful fantasy piece I think that team is going to score a lot of goals at 5v5 in on the power play but 
nevertheless, I think Giroud is going to be a, a terrible draft day value. He's currently the 11th right wing off the board on average, uh, and he barely cracks my top 20. So uh, it'll be a, a hard pass for me on Giroud this year unless he somehow falls five or six rounds. I think the one issue with fading Giroud is just obviously like we are all big fans of, of Tim Stitzel and, and Brady Kachuk. And obviously he seems to be a staple on that line or, or, or a guy that's going to see a lot of run with them. And it's hard to imagine them having as good of seasons as we think they're going to have uh, and him having a bad year. But I agree in terms of the goal scoring is just simply not yeah. going to be there. Right. Yeah, it's I just, think- there's just no chance of that, of that happening again. So um, I agree. Like, and I, I think like as much as you could say that we love Stitzel and we love Chuck and he's playing with the one thing that we love both of those guys for is the fact that they shoot the puck a ton. And if they're out there shooting the puck a ton, that doesn't leave a whole lot left for Claude Giroux. I think without a doubt, he's going to just be racking up the assists this year. Um, but yeah, like he's certainly not going to score 35 goals again. So uh, I, I'm on board with it. To me, I, I think it was a lot easier to find sleepers and a little bit more difficult to find busts at this position. Um, and you just kind of, kind of, kind of have to plant your flag. And I think Claude Giroux, with with minimal goal scoring up, upside, is, is a good spot. And yeah, I, I don't. Mean, I was gonna say I don't think I can add anything more there. I, I with all our busts, I love to kind of you know you kind of want to put yourself in in the shoes of someone drafting from that exact spot. And there's just so many names with higher upside that I like there uh, more than Giroux. With that said, if he falls a little bit too, just with the pieces around him, you you definitely can take him. It's just, I, I love ceiling guys. And I think you could take guys who have Claude Giroux's floor a lot later in drafts. Um, and and personally, if he's talking about Owen Tippett, I'd rather have him than Claude Giroux. Uh, yeah, it, at that spot, at least. Right, it's comparison. per value for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, if Giroux... If even if he's able to return the amount of shots he took last year, which is you know not a great bet for someone who's into his late thirties, again mm-hmm. shot volume tends to decline year over year as you exit your prime. Uh, certainly, you know maybe in a better situation than he was a few years ago, but hard to imagine him building off the shot volume he had last year. And even if he were to um, you know successfully replicate it, if he shoots at his career percentage or even where he was at over the last four years leading to that, it's going to be a drop off of about ten goals. Um, and yeah, you know, no, the assist production is, is not going to be anywhere near enough to make up for that again at his current ADP. So yeah, you need over like a point per game at that point. Yeah. I it's not terrible, something but like it's, that. that's, it's just, ceiling. yeah, it's just one of, one of those examples where this is a guy who I think, uh, is being drafted at a ceiling relative and you can get guys that are being drafted closer to their floor. So if you take a look at our consensus rankings at the position, we have them coming in at our 17th ranked right winger. ADP makes him the 11th right winger off the board. So we're considerably uh, lower than lower on him than ADP. Just to give you a few right wingers that are going after him that we like more. Uh, one spot after him is Tyler Toffoli. We have him ranked 14th. Claude Drew again, 17th. Uh, at 13th, we have Adrian Kempe. He's the 15th right winger off the board. Ahead of him, Joe Pavelski, uh, 12th uh, for us, 14th right winger off the board. And as we just mentioned, Jordan Cairo at 11th, and he's the 17th right winger off the board. And even a guy that cracked our top 10, Andre Svechnikov, currently being the 13th right winger taken uh, about a round later than Claude Giroux. So, yeah, like those are the type of things that you got to look at and say, what's the point of taking Claude Giroux when we like all these guys uh, much, much better? Even if Claude Giroux is going to have a decent year, there's there's so much more draft day value to be had at this position. Yeah. 
like uh, I think Svechnikov, someone like that, can win you a championship. I don't think Quadru's ceiling wins you a championship. It's just and, and that's well, kind of these a, are kind of like you said the moves you need to do. Here's the thing too, right? Like we just talked about Sam Reinhardt. Sure, I would I would agree that Quadru probably point total wise has a higher ceiling, but it, I yeah. don't think it's so much greater that the the round discrepancy you know is there right like to me Reinhardt yeah. is a is, is a much better pick several several rounds later uh, than Claude Giroux I'll go next here because mine is pretty high profile as well I've got Mark Stone as my bust ADP is currently sixty three point five he's the tenth right winger off the board consensus for us is eighteenth I'm super low on, on Mark Stone. So to me, like last year, what he did in the playoffs on, on the run to winning the Stanley Cup was terrific, right? It was vintage Mark Stone. Uh, the problem is this guy hasn't really been able to stay healthy. Like it looked like for a period of time, his career might even be over. He, he's done a great job, uh, you know, returning to action. But in the past two seasons, he hasn't even played a full complement of games. Uh, and even in those 80 games, he has 68 points, which is fine, right? To me, he just doesn't do enough, right? The shot volume yeah. is the shot volume solid. Uh, he doesn't hit. He he's not going to score a ton of goals. Uh, the assist totals are going to be fairly modest. Like I, I love Mark Stone, the player. Don't get me wrong, but from a fantasy perspective, at sixty third overall, it it makes it makes absolutely no sense. Like when I look at the ADPs, to me, his name sticks out among you know, more than, more than most. And I just don't really understand it. And, and to me, the one thing that I guess I don't really understand it is sure. He had a great playoff run and it's boosted his ADP. Probably it hasn't happened to any other Vegas golden Knights player at all. Like Jack Eichel, great in the playoffs. Aiden Hardly. Hill went down. Yeah, Aiden, Aiden Hill, you know, his ADP makes no sense. Jonathan Marchessault, while well, the con Smythe, his ADP, you know, like none of those guys got these. We watched every playoff game. We watched that run. They were great. Have to have them on my fantasy team. They're going to carry it in the next year. Like every single one of them kind of just stayed where they are. Um, and to me, like I'd probably rather have Jonathan Marchessault than Mark Stone. And I think he's going like 40 or 50 picks later. Yeah, like like you, like you said, I mean, 80 games between two seasons. And, and unfortunately, with some injuries, you know, if, if you break an arm, you do, you, you hurt your leg. It's something that you recover from. And usually you're quite, you're, you're right back at it with Mark Stone. These are reoccurring injuries, which is kind of what scares me a little bit. Like you said, even if you do get a full, let's take that 68 points you got out of the 80 games. I don't even want him at that spot. I don't even want him anywhere close to that spot. I want like maybe him, maybe around the 120s if he's going to give me 68 points. Um, like you said, I, I don't know, maybe it's the name value. Maybe it's, uh, maybe there's a report out there that we haven't seen. I'm kidding. Um, I just, I, I think like you said, if there was ever a glaring, um, bust when you're, you're looking through all positions, this is definitely one of them that stands out at you. And you know what? Just let other people take the risk on Mark Stone. Just don't even put yourself through that, that stress. It's not worth it. Even if he gives you 70, 80 games, it's just not worth stressing all year over. You're gonna have five. I think the one value. thing we I think the one thing we always say, right, is that you can't really like lose, you know, win your draft always early, but you can certainly lose it. Mm -hmm. Um and, and wasting this kind of like early to mid-round pick on a guy that that with this injury history uh is worrisome. And like, don't get me wrong, right? Like, yeah, okay, sure, you had 68 points in the last 
uh, two seasons in, in 80 games combined. But like, he, you know, don't let, let's not gloss over the fact that he did, you know, have 24 points in 22 playoff games, right? Like he was obviously outstanding. He shot a ridiculous 22.4% to get to that goal total career average of 15%. So like that's not going to carry over, um, you know, not to take away from the fact that he was outstanding. But like to me, uh, he's going ahead of Alex Dabrinkat, who I have ranked like just so much higher uh, Joe Pavelski, Svechnikov, all those guys we've already mentioned to Foley, Jesper Brad, he's the left wing, right wing. Like, there's just so many other names that are going to have more consistent production. Uh, Dave Rin, pretty quiet here on Mark Stone. Um, your your ranking doesn't really suggest that you have a whole lot of faith in him at this ADP either, though. No, no. I Like, I don't know. I think I'm just trying to like do the math right now. I, I think I'd be happy taking him there if he played the full 82 and returned on his career averages or where he's been at the last few years. But even that, like I wouldn't feel great about it. It's not like it was a slam dunk of the pick. I think that would just be him returning value. Um, and I never like to forecast injury uh, into a scouting report or projections for a healthy player, a guy with a clean slate of health. But uh, I think you need to make exceptions with certain players and, I mean, Mark Stone's been in the league for 11 seasons. He's played more than 70 games four times. Like that, that is a red flag um, at the end of the day. And yeah, he's healthy right now. Um, so I would have kind of, I was kind of hoping that his injury history was weighing the ADP down a little bit. And, you know, cause I like making bets when guys who have maybe been banged up the last few seasons have a clean bill of health. Chris Letang was like that a few years ago and it really um, affected his ADP. He ended up being a great pick that year. Um, but yeah, that just hasn't happened to Stone. I feel like people are drafting him as if he's this reliable um, source of, of games and production. And that just hasn't been the case, unfortunately. So yeah, I, I, I can't justify or, or recommend drafting him here because, you know, it's, it's hard to say that he's for sure going to play more than 50, 60 games. And then, so yeah, to assume yeah. that nothing else is going to go wrong on top of that. Uh, it's just, it's way too big of a bet and just unnecessary to make when you look at some of the names going behind him. It's actually insane. There was a report out of Vegas uh, just in the last couple of days stating that Mark Stone will actually play a full schedule. Um, so there was even concern that this guy might not even play back to backs. And if we're already talking about that, that's a little bit scary. But also this draft pick was before like this ADP was before that news came out. So this this is people drafting him. What? 63rd overall with no guarantee that he's even going to play 10 games automatically out of the gate. But like we said, awesome to hear that news from Mark Stone that he is going to have a full go at it. Um, but I mean, that could change quick. Yeah. Again, got to separate the real hockey from the fake hockey and uh, in fake hockey, not a fan of Mark Stone, real hockey. I'm all, I'm all in. Uh, okay. Beebs, your bust is, is a little divisive on this show because me and D don't necessarily agree with it in terms of our rankings. We like this guy quite a bit. So make your case for Adrian Kempe being a bust this year. Yeah, I'm going to start with a disclaimer that busts were pretty tough at right winger when grabbing the last one here, just because there's a ton of sleepers in the right, right wing category. Um, so, you know, I, I had to go with a guy who has never had more than 26 career assists. Um, Adrian Kempe is currently going um, of the LA Kings. It's currently going at 85th um, ADP. And that's after a 41 goal, 26 assist season and 82 games played. He had 250 shots on goal. He had a 16.4 shooting percentage. Um, and uh, to get to that 41 goals, not to ever take anything away from a guy, but he had to absolutely beat up on Anaheim in the final game at a hat trick and an assist while playing just bonkers minutes. So they were clearly pushing him for 40. And I love that. It's great to see. You want to see players hit um, 
hit 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 new plateaus so that or hit new new highs. So that's great to see. But if I am drafting someone around the 85 point, I'm almost expecting point per game productivity out of them. Something that happened in LA is they signed Pierre Luc Dubois. We've talked about it a ton on the show. Shouldn't really affect Kempe's ice time that much, but it does affect the fact that they have three centers who kind of demand at least 18 minutes each. Um, and Kempe has played 18 minutes in the last two seasons, a little bit closer to 19 last year. Um, and with that, he, he gave you 67 points. Um, it's the assist totals for me. I know that you can find that later in drafts, but at this point, I think you can still grab guys that can give you both the goals and the assist. He might get a couple more goals than the next best player, but, uh, that in itself just isn't enough to, to justify this, this for me. If he shoots closer to his 12.6 career rate, which is just incredible props, Adrian Crampe for that. If he shoots at that rate, that probably brings him down to about 35 goals and 60 points. And if you're getting 60 points from this part in the draft, I think you're going to really feel it um, when other guys are drafting guys with uh, with a little bit higher ceilings for me personally. He's 27. It's not like he's in his he's, – he's about in his prime years, but he's not at that age where you're expecting to see more than what we've already gotten from him. If he gives you 40 and 25 again, phenomenal, but you only got 65 points from a guy who's surrounded by a lot of people who I think have that – almost triple digit potential. I just don't see that from him. I do love the fact that he shoots the puck over 200 times, but I think again, you're at a point in the draft where you're going to get a lot of guys who shoot this much. Um, he is surrounded by a couple decent right wingers as well. It scares me for that power play usage for him. If he gets knocked off the power play, Pierre Luc Dubois is currently not on their top power play as well as they have a couple other young guys like Arthur Kaev and uh, Victor Arvidsson who could kind of, He's not in the young part, but he's in the shooter part. These are guys that if they get hot or if, or if Kempe gets cold, anything really happens, they could take over. I think LA is super deep, and I don't love attacking guys on teams that are this deep at this point in the draft. Again, it was tough to pick on him because, you know, you love to see him going this high. He truly is a phenomenal player. But uh, for me, that was, a, that was a glaring right winger that I just thought, if I'm sitting at 85, there's a couple other names that I'd like behind him um and uh and, and yeah that's my that's my adrian kempe hate for the year um i'll probably say but uh yeah you know when you wrote that you were uh you were taking kempe as your boss i thought certainly you were talking about his brother mario but um nope. adrian kempe yeah like the assist totals are certainly not really going to be there uh but it is worth noting that in the last two seasons he is tied for 14th in the nhl with 76 goals tied with the likes of Steven Stamkos ahead of Timo Meyer, Rupe Hintz, William Nina, and Nathan McKinnon. I could go on and on. Um, Probably so tied like, for a hundred and or 220th though in the NHL and assists in the same time. So, you know, you, you might actually be <laughs> right um, because he is actually tied for 214th. <laughs> so, so, so pretty, pretty close uh, there. So yeah, yeah, that is obviously, you know, the tales of two spectrums there um, with Adrian Kempe. Uh, and then obviously, you know, you being uh, quite a bit higher on, on Jordan Cairo, um, you know, down. that that's a guy that is going uh, quite a few picks later, about six, seven picks later. So, uh, we are a little bit higher on on him. Uh, so, yeah, you know, if you can get a Jordan Cairo uh, or a, a Joe Pavelski, we do have them ranked a little bit higher in consensus, and they're all being kind of drafted around the same spot and and maybe have a little bit more 
consistent production and, and maybe offer a little bit more in the assist categories. But to me, um, you know, I would I would certainly take Adrian Kempe on my team over Claude Giroux and uh, Mark Stone. But oh, uh, I totally yeah, agree I, with that statement as well. Yeah, I, even though I, I have I, him as a bust. Yeah, I, uh, I I I just think yeah, like what you get in the goal category is, is hard to um, ignore. D, uh, you also have Kempe ranked around the same spot as me. Um, the fact that Biebs said Elias Pettersson and Elias Lindholm the other day, I thought for sure we were going to get a Mario Kempe there. So I had to make sure I included them. No, no, I'm back on. That was episode one. Preseason jitters are out. We are <laughs> on, fellas. It's been a while since I thought about Mario Kempe, so I appreciate that. It was a nice little uh, flashback oh, down name. memory lane. But um, no, I, I just think Kempe makes up for the lack of assists. I think he's one of the or at least over the last two seasons, he's been one of, if not probably the most underrated goal scorer in the league. I think it's coming from really reliable ways with the, you know, almost 250 shots in back-to-back seasons, shooting percentage, uh, 14% two years ago, 16% last year. So you feel really good about the step forward that he's taken in his finishing ability when we're talking about 500 shot sample size. Um, yeah, the assists obviously aren't going to be there. He's looking to get shots off. That's what he's on the ice to do. It's, you know, really what's transformed his game over the last couple uh, of seasons is, um, shooting the puck at, at such a higher rate, but um, I, I love the category coverage you get from elsewhere. I think he offsets that. Like, not only is obviously the shot volume going to be a boost to a shot category or in points leagues if you account for that, but hits as well 111 two seasons ago, 119 last year. So, uh, certainly in terms of guys that can fill up the score sheet as well, this is an above average banger. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, again, just depends on the format. If you're in, you know, a pretty simple format where you know goals and assists are are treated equal and you're not getting any sort of bonus for the shots and the hits that he racks up then yeah i I drop him down a bit and i wouldn't love him at his current adp but i think um and you know more all-encompassing leagues that are incorporating all these different stats maybe a points leagues that gives you um rewards you for shots and hits i I think he more than makes up for the assists uh when we know that more than likely in most formats there's a premium on goals as well so Uh, That's why I like Kempe, but again, I think it just depends on the format, and I think that's where you have to be careful because he certainly could um, be getting drafted far too early if you are in a more simple format. Yeah, we were weighing like the more simple format going in. We did mention that hits and that were kind of like a a side add-on, so I would say for sure if it all depends on format, that is a very big, big, big part. We said we were going to talk, or at least I did, said we were going to talk a little bit more about Adrian Kempe here, or not Adrian Kempe, Andre Svechnikov <laughs> in the second half of the show. And he is my breakout pick for the 2024 season. Uh, very, very young still. Um, Andre Svechnikov will be 24 this March. So these, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit in, in a previous episode. I did do some age curve work in uh, the offseason, and this 23 uh, age 23, 24 season is really where players really start to hit their stride and, and, and start to have their career uh, highs. 25 is really where they hit their peaks, usually 25, 26. So we're, we're, we're ascending here for Andre Svechnikov. And uh, we talked about it a little bit already. The injuries uh, have hampered him a little bit in the last couple of seasons. Um, two seasons ago, he did play 78 games, 30 goals, 39 assists, 69 points. That's just scratching the surface. Uh, last year in 81, uh, if he would have played 82 games, he would have had 30 goals, 41 assists, uh, 71 points. So uh, his 71 points would have ranked top 50, but then he would have been on pace for 263 shots. That would have been top 25 among forwards and 180 hits. That would have been among top uh, 30 in hits among forwards. And obviously that includes guys like 
Cal Clutterbuck and guys who won't do anything on the score sheet. So guys who actually uh, put the puck in the net, uh, he, he just kind of does it all from a fantasy perspective. Um, originally I had talked about, uh, you know, I was going to include him as my, my sleeper because, uh, his current ADP of 82.4 is, is too low. So if, if you kind of have a sleeper and a guy that's just going to break out, um, it's weird because like, he kind of like, we always consider breakouts as guys who are going in a round that like, it's just never going to happen again. Right. They're going to turn themselves into a new tier next year. Um, and like Svechikov was kind of already being drafted in that tier just a little bit too early. And now he's going to like re-cement himself back into like as like a top three round pick. He really just does it all. Uh, and, and like if you look at last year, right, he was on pace, like I said, for 30 and 41. He shot just 11.2%, which is right around uh, his career average. So I, I think there's obviously room for the ice time to grow. Still playing 18 minutes. Uh, still a guy that can get over 250 shots and, and make some noise in the goal category. But then at the same time, his on-ice shooting percentage the two previous seasons were, was 12.2 and 12%. Last year, just 10.7%. So certainly room for the assist totals to grow there as well. I really do think that this guy's got 40 goal, 50 assist upside, all while piling up, uh, you know, 180 to 200 hits. So just so much to like about Seshnikov. The fact that he's coming at a draft date discount right now is just straight up juicy. Would uh with the Adrian Kempe news, would you go Svechnikov or Kempe? They're both being taken three spots away from each other. Yeah, definitely Svechnikov. Yeah. Uh I have Svechnikov ranked at eight among the uh, right wingers, and I have Kempe ranked twelfth. So uh, yeah, easy, easy decision for me there uh to go Svechnikov. I think, like I said, I think he's got 40-50 upside. So he certainly has uh kind of similar uh, goal scoring upside to Adrian Kempe. I, I, you know, if I had to bet which one was going to score 40, I would certainly go with Kempe. Um, but I do think that the upside is there for, for Svechnikov. I suppose the only concerns I have about him reaching fit 40 goals uh, would just be the fact that that is a very, very deep team. That is still a team that relies heavily on a guy like Jordan Stahl to play big minutes. Um, and that's going to you know, limit the possibilities for a guy like Andre Svechnikov to get up to 19 minutes a night. But, um, you know, if it does happen, I, I think that, uh, he's certainly a guy that's just going to absolutely explode into, uh, another tier. And if you look at kind of what he did, uh, from like Christmas on last year, you know, the production was, was pretty solid 26 points in, in 31 games, but he was playing, uh, a little bit, you know, closer, you're still around the 18 minute mark, but on, on certain nights, he was around 19, 20 minutes and he, he, he has played, um, you know, bigger, bigger roles in certain games. And if, if we can just turn it into a full season length of, of 19 minutes, so this guy's uh, the sky really just is the limit. So um, it's been kind of a weird season on the DFO fantasy podcast. So many guys that we used to talk about, about busts are now sleepers. And so many guys that we used to talk about sleepers are now busts. It's just, it's all coming full circle. I guess when you do this for nine years, that's bound to happen eventually, but uh, let's keep moving on here. Finish with our last uh, two breakouts. Beebs, uh, we'll go back to you and tell us a little bit more about Goal Caulfield. Ooh, Goal Caulfield. I'm glad you went there because uh, that's kind of also where I'm going. Uh, Cole Caulfield is my breakout this year, currently being drafted at the 138.2 ADP. Uh, that just seemed a little bit too late for me because I have him kind of taking that next step forward. If he can stay healthy this year, it's a big if. Cole Caulfield last year had 26 goals, 10 assists, 36 points in 46 games played. 
add on to that, he had 158 shots on goal and he was averaging about 18 minutes per night. That, uh, that was on pace for a 46 and a half goal season, which would have ranked him seventh in the NHL. That's the extrapolation game though. It's not necessarily going to happen, but that would have across a full year, um, put him in seventh place. And then also kind of things that go along with goal, goal Caulfield. Uh, the nickname is that I was going to tr- try to go like shoot Caulfield, but no, he just shoots a ton. Uh, he was on pace for 281 shots on goal last year. That would have placed him 14th in the NHL. These are things that we kind of like to grab onto when we're looking for our breakouts, things that, uh, that, that can kind of show signs of taking that next step. And if he can play that full 82, as I mentioned, I do think, I don't think he's capable of that 45, 46 goals yet, but I do think he can give us way better production than 138th ADP. Um, He was playing last year too, for the 26th team in goals four in Montreal and 29th worst power play in the NHL. That means that there's a lot of room for improvement out there in Montreal. If they can just have a couple of things click, like maybe Mike Matheson staying healthy. That's a guy who had 34 points in 48 games, nine of which were power play points that could help little things like Cole Caulfield take those steps forward. And uh, there's a couple other nice pieces around him, like Kirby Doc, even Nick Suzuki, who I think really haven't shown their true potential. We saw Doc also face the injury bug. He had 38 points in 58 games. And then Suzuki, it almost seemed like just taking the whole weight of the whole season kind of came around. And and uh, we kind of saw Montreal's numbers come back down to earth. But at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were thinking this top line is maybe one of the, the the better lines to target in DFS and in fantasy hockey. But then we saw a bunch of injuries. We saw a bunch of different things happen. Um, another thing is that at one point last year, Montreal was dressing five rookie defensemen. It cannot get worse than that, I don't believe. So I expect Montreal to be a little bit better this year. Um, with that, it's going to take a lot from Cole Caulfield. He is their kind of franchise player. It seems like they took him in those early rounds just a few years ago. And uh, he's always proved at every level that he loves to shoot the puck. And uh, he's really their only like about health. He really he's their only goal scoring option, true goal scoring option. So yeah, he's really their only like bona fide like superstar goal scorer. Like Nick Suzuki is is a legitimate like stud, right? Like he he's great, but he's not going to score forty goals. Like hockey player wise, he's Patrice Bergeron. He's fantastic, but Cole Caulfield's got to be the guy to carry their water here. Um, And to me, like. Yeah, there's a lot of breakout potential. The injuries are obviously the main concern here, but that's baked into his ADP, and I have no problems taking Cole Caulfield this year. Like, I, I really want to try to get as much Cole Caulfield as I can because I do mm-hmm. think that there is uh, some super untapped potential here that uh, he can unlock. And, and it's interesting because he did have a pretty good year going last year, and his ADP dropped nearly two two rounds. He was going around 114 last year. He's a, he's at uh, he's at 138 this year. So. Uh, a little bit, a little bit bizarre. The fact that he's going that late is is kind of wild because, like, he's the type of name that people kind of attach to. Yeah. Uh, you know, great goal scoring, and you think that people would be wanting to like almost reach for him more than anything. But yeah, it's like a twelfth round pick. Like, if, if you get him in like the tenth round, I mean, there's so there's much, also there's like, so much upside there. There's a ton of Montreal fans just in general. They're one of the stronger fan bases. So I would have thought just you know how it's kind of like Toronto where you see. A lot of guys get drafted because they're fans. You'd think there'd be a lot of Montreal fans who are kind of like, hey, Cole Caulfield's kind of the guy. Um, he, uh, if he, 
if he doesn't even take a step forward and does everything he did last year, I think you're getting incredible value. But I, I also expect that step forward. Uh, but D, I, I do know that you have to see this guy often. So uh, just quickly, he is currently being drafted as the 26th uh, right winger off the board at the moment. Uh, I have him. I don't know where you guys have him exactly. I have him at 19. So several spots uh, above exactly. where he's going, several rounds. Uh, but yeah, D, what do you think about Cole Caulfield? I probably have him a little closer to his ADP in the mid twenties, but obviously um, recognizing and, and realizing that he's got the ability to drastically outperform that. Um, I love the shot volume that we see from him and what's been a limited role at, and at such a young age, like I, I don't think we've scratched the ceiling of that potential yet. Um, I just think he's got a lot of Kempe in him and that the assists just aren't going to be there this season. Um, it'll probably improve as that team gets better over the coming years, but he's on a 22 assist pace per 82 games uh so far in his career and i just don't think that gets a whole lot better just 10 assists in 46 games last year uh, well it doesn't have the hits to fall back on to kind of make <laughs> 50 picks later so, though yeah so it just doesn't have as much uh well-roundedness to his game certainly plus minus going to be a, a bit of an issue as well so uh again considering everything and all the categories that are at play here that's kind of where he settles in more at the mid-20s but um for all the reasons that Beads talked about and, and that shot volume and the finishing he's shown to date, um, I certainly understand being a player for him. And again, I think he's a great value at his ADP because, yeah, like I, I'm comfortable getting him there around there where he's probably going to be my uh, third right winger, hopefully. Right. I'd be a little uneasy about him being my right wing, too. Uh, but if that is the case, I don't think it's the worst spot to be in simply because, it, you know, it wouldn't be a shock to me if he pulled the campaign and scored 40 goals this year. I just think it'll probably be closer, to, again, like Kempe with 20 assists and, and no real hits or plus minus to fall back on. So um, that's why he's a little bit lower for me. But again, I still think he is an obvious, obvious breakout candidate this year um, and still uh, a great player to target on draft day. Speaking of breakout candidates, why don't you wrap up the show with yours? I can do that. So another guy that's gotten a lot of love from all of us over the last couple of seasons um, and certainly a lot during the second half of last year. That's Dawson Mercer on the Devils, 151.4. Another guy that's part of the reason why I'm just not quite as high on Timo Meyer as you guys are this year. Uh, I think this guy, Dawson Mercer, is on the edge of the breakout, and it's part of the reason why I just think there's a really limited amount of minutes to go around in that top six this year. So 27 goals and 29 assists over a full 82 games for the 21-year-old Mercer last season. Uh, really seems primed and ready to enjoy a breakout. The only real issue is that crowded nature that I just alluded to in the Devils' top six. Already plenty of weapons to go around before adding the likes of Meyer at the deadline last season and then to Foley in the offseason. So ice time may be a bit harder to come by this year for Mercer, but if he is able to win the battle for ice time and cement himself atop the right-wing pecking order in New Jersey, then uh, I really do think we could be on the cusp of a major breakout. Um, obviously, Meyer can still end up on the left side as well. Um, and yeah, that's the reason that I'm you know more than willing to take the risk uh, of taking Mercer where he's at in the 13th round. It's it's a bit of a no-brainer here. Um, it's where he's being drafted on average right now. He's flashed elite finishing ability already at this point in his career. Career shooting percentage to date sits at an even 14%, and it's helped him rack up 44 goals in 164 career games across two full seasons, despite some pretty limited ice time. Uh, one thing we will need to see improve this year is his shot volume. Uh, finished the season with 161 shots across the full 82. Uh, and we know two shots a game just isn't going to cut it if he's going to take that step forward and become an elite goal scorer like we believe he can be. Obviously, you know, that'll come naturally with some more ice time, but we just talked about how that's not guaranteed to come. So you just need to kind of brace your expectations a little bit with Mercer. Uh, but you will be happy to know his shot volume was also trending up throughout the season, 
Over his last 28 games, Mercer registered 15 goals, 11 assists. That's 26 points, so just shy of a point per game. Uh, and 71 shots on goal while averaging 18 and a half minutes a night. So that's the type of uses and shot volume that we're really hoping to see this year out of Mercer. Again, might be a little bit harder to come by with Meyer there full-time and Toffoli now. Uh, but if that trend does continue into the upcoming year, then we could potentially uh, see a jump to around 35, 40 goals for Mercer. Uh, and if he reaches that level one way, or I do believe, sorry, that he will reach that level one way or another within the next few years. Uh, it's just a matter of when he's able to earn that additional ice time and what's being a very crowded top six. And again, a guy that's still getting better year to year at just 22 years old. So in the 13th round, uh, he's a risk uh, for sure, but a risk that I'm, I'm very happy to take at that point. Yeah, we, we talked about the age curve, right? I mean, we talked about Caulfield. We talked about Mercer. 22 is really when they start to, to take their hit their stride and and become uh, formidable NHL players in terms of point production. And Mercer was one of, to me, the most difficult players to rank this offseason um, because the flashes are, are there, right? There's so much potential. Such a good hockey player just in, in, in such a dangerous spot where – like if you get it, if you get him late and he ends up in that top six, like he's going to be a star. Um, but if he's locked onto the third line, which was, you know, so far what's happened in the early days of camp with, with, with Eric Howlett and, and Andre Palat, I mean, maybe the best third line in the league. That is a little bit concerning. But as you mentioned, 13th round ADP, there's not a whole lot of risk and, and you can draft him with, with the hopes that, um, you know, you, you get some, some of those flashes early in the season and he, and he makes his way into the top six because yeah, like it, the breakout is coming for Mercer. I, I'm afraid it may be a year early. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a really productive year. And in this time next year, we're talking about Dawson Mercer breakout again um, because all the tools are there. All the surrounding cast is there, but the surrounding cast might actually be his worst enemy at the same time. Uh, anything to add D? No, I, I agree. Like I said, there's certainly more risk to it than probably anyone I've recommended to this point, but uh, it's more than baked into that ADP. Uh, and Absolutely. it's a swing that I'm real, definitely willing to take at that point in the draft. But, yeah, but at you're this right. point it's... in the draft, you're, you're getting guys that a lot of times you end up dropping sometimes in a couple weeks. So I, I do love the idea of taking a risk on a guy who's proven he definitely has 30, 30 potential, if not more. Yeah. I, I like Mercer. His 16.8 shooting percentage scares me a bit, but even he's proven, you know, the year before it was still very high. Um, like you said, a couple more shots that could easily pair or even itself out. So there's something good here in Dawson. Yeah. And that team does not miss on first round draft picks. No, they certainly, uh, they certainly do not just to, I wanted to give out a, another list of just, there's some, a lot of sleeper right wings and we kind of seem to just, uh talk about our three and then not ignore but forget to talk about uh maybe a longer list of of players and um the right wing position certainly has its its fair share uh jonathan marshall so i mentioned him earlier i'd rather have him than mark stone uh but martin Netchas, troy terry travis connect is a player that that was close to our top 15 that we didn't get to talk about today vladimir tarasenko we talked a little bit about in the first episode seth jarvis Connor Brown, uh, I completely forgot to mention him in our off-season review article. He's a guy that's like, you know, probably going to end up playing with Connor McDavid this year. Brian Ross, Capo Caco might get a run with Panarin and, and Philip Heidel. Blake Wheeler could also be in the mix for that spot. He he just qu- got a quote the other day that said he's not done. He's got a lot of hockey ahead of him. 
Uh, Brock Besser is still a guy that could play with Elias Pettersson. JT Miller has a lot of juice. Riley Smith with Evgeny Malkin. Valerie Nechushkin, a potential linemate for, for Nathan McKinnon. These are all guys that are going past the 100 spot uh, at right wing position. I think that we're all in agreement that it, maybe not all of those guys we love, but the majority of those guys. Uh, and, and another name I'll throw out there that, that might want to be on the radar here is Patrick Kane. Currently does not have... Uh, a team at the moment, but still one of the most highly sought after free agents. Uh, he's expected stash. to miss the fir- first month of the season, but after that, uh, if he signs with a team that he he could see a significant role, you can get him for next to nothing on draft day. And, and at the end of the day, this is still Patrick Kane. Uh, it maybe didn't go great once he went to the Rangers last year, but uh, if he lands with a team where he can play a significant role, I, I think that he's still got some good years ahead of him. So uh, I think unless you guys want to talk about any of those names that I just mentioned, uh, uh, Troy like, Terry was my favorite. That's all I got to say. I like Konechny the best. I think he's got real 40-40 potential this year if he can stay healthy um, and just depending on the usage that he gets. But yeah, I, I love Konechny a lot. I think he was my 11th right wing overall. So I'll be a player for Konechny this year. But yeah, lots of really good names. I like Terry too, as Beep said. Uh, Martin Nekas, uh, Tarasenko, we talked about a lot uh, on the offseason show and certainly a very interesting pick uh, considering the ADP. Uh, so those were the ones that, that really jumped out at me. Yeah, yeah as I, I think it is nice. I was just going to say that we actually have options here. at right wing. No, go ahead, go nuts, because he's a he's a he's a local boy, so go crazy there. No, I was just going to say, like I, I mentioned earlier, Sean Couture coming back certainly going to help connect me as well. Right now, they've got a little bit more stability down the middle uh, with Morgan Frost, with Couture and Noah Cates. Uh, that should help connect me get a more steady. Uh, line mate, you also got Cam Atkinson returning this year, uh, God willing. So uh, that should be a little bit better of, of an offensive uh, offensive team this year than they were a season ago. And Konechny already had a really good run. Owen Tippett, we talked about him a little bit as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think I like Konechny a lot, but uh, Biebs finishes off here. I was just going to say, is this year's a little bit different than last year where there actually is that depth at your wing position. So if, if say, you do have a a little bit of a, a noticeable hey, I'm missing right wingers, you can kind of fill it out with a lot of those names that we dropped that right there. And as you mentioned, kind of with Mercer, we're getting, when you get to those 100-plus points, you're kind of getting to the point where you're, you're drafting guys that you potentially would drop anyways. So if you're drafting any of those names, I think you're going to find yourself in a very good spot. If you get two of three um, that actually hit the way they should, then even better. Um, we're talking about all guys that we expect to have almost higher value than their ADP. So it's a, it's nice to see that you're not totally screwed if uh, if you go a little bit center strong on uh, in your early rounds. Yeah, mentioned in the last week's or uh, left wing episode that the wings just seem to be you know may, they're still not nearly as top heavy as, as center, uh, but they definitely have a little bit more depth than we're used to seeing. So, anyways. That's going to do it for Season 9, Episode 4 of the DFO Fantasy Podcast, presented to you by Betway. I'm your host, Brock Segan. As always, for Dylan DeBirth and Michael Peace Bondi, we'll see you back here later this week to talk about some defensemen. Yeah. Can't wait. Peace.